0: Amen. We've been talking for the last few weeks about stress and about dealing with stress, and then the last two weeks have been about your job and dealing with work and how impacting, how the quality of life is dictated by the quality of your job and how much you enjoy your job and how God desires you to, to do well in your job and to love your work and, and to uh, to be an impactor. But I'm going to kind of change gears for the next few weeks. And Now, next Sunday, we've got Paul Wilbur who's going to be here, and he is a Messianic Jew um, what that basically means is that he is a Jew that has received Jesus Christ as his Lord and savior, and is just a wonderful worshiper, worship leader, and speaker. And we've had him here many times, whether it was through Passover or he, we had him here about a year ago to our church. And, uh, it's just wonderful. Don't miss it. Don't miss next week with Paul Wilbur. He'll be at first and second service. And then the week after that is Joe McGee. And if you're new and you've never experienced Joe McGee, let me tell you, you are in for a treat. He has been coming to this church ever since I've been here and before I came. And he is our most loved speaker. He is just a, he's a pillar of this church, I feel like. And funny, and he will he's current and practical and relevant. And on top of that, we've got the church picnic. And I just encourage you, maybe this is your first Sunday. Well, praise God, you're invited. You're invited. Last year, we had so many first-time visitors still come to the church picnic. Praise the Lord. What a way to get to know each other the first Sunday. And we would love to have you. Uh, We would love to have you. So I won't be preaching the next two weeks. So don't abandon us. Come. You don't know what you're missing if you miss Paul Wilbur, or miss Joe McGee. That I'm not preaching the next two weeks? (laughs) Pam. Coming out of the mouth of the lady that said, Paul, I got somebody I'm, I'm, I want to come hear you preach, but I want them to hear you preach. <laughs> Can't figure you out, Pam. <laughs> so come, we want We want you here. And next week is going to be phenomenal. I genuinely look forward to Paul Wilbur and his teaching and his worship. Um, but we've got a we've got a project coming up as a church. And if you have been here for the last few weeks, maybe you haven't, you've seen outside that we're in the middle of looking at a building program. And the staff and the leadership, we have picked a day, September 5th, to be our big kickoff for starting to raise the funds. And I know you may be thinking, oh, it's my first time here, and here he is talking about funds. Don't do that to me. Hang in there with me. God's got a word for you today. But September 5th, we're going to have what's going to be called Seed Sunday, Now, if y'all been here for about 10 years, you remember when Pastor Chris did a Harvest Sunday to add on to the stage and big, big deal. We we fasted, we prayed and raised a lot of money. Um, It was great, but this is not going to be Harvest Sunday. We're not receiving a harvest. We're planting seed. What kind of breakthrough do you need? What are you praying for? And it's roughly 40 days from now until September 5th. It's about 42, but we're going to say 40 days because God is a God of numbers. And we're going to go on a 40-day time of praying. And I want to encourage you of fasting. And what do you mean by fasting? I mean, you can can take it to it as extreme as you want, or you can just pick something. 10 or 12 years ago, Pastor Chris called for a 40-day fast. And I fasted soft drinks. And I literally thought it was going to kill me. I did not know how I was going to make it. I worked at a place called Express Lube that had fountain drinks. I could get them at the level whatever I wanted at any time I wanted. And I was having to look at it all the time. And I had an addiction to caffeine and to soft drinks. But every single time I've ever taken the time to fast and pray, I have gotten an answer to what I was looking for every time. Every time. Now, I encourage you, don't fast and not pray. All you're doing is just torturing yourself. I would encourage you pray. And if you want to add in with that fasting and I'm not teaching on fasting, I'm just going to call for a 40-day fast. Whether that's one little thing, maybe it's chocolate, maybe it's Starbucks. Um Okay. All right. Doesn't have to be Starbucks. But it needs to be something Are we okay? Some of the husbands and some of those saying, yeah, please, let's let's, please fast Starbucks. (laughs) Those of you that have your account plugged into them and they just daily withdraw from your account. they have a, yeah. Take it up with the Lord. There is something that you can give to God for these 40 days, but it needs to be something of value. So that when you think about that or when you have that urge, you know what that urge is telling you? To pray. That is the time to pray. And I would also encourage you, what are you believing for? Are you believing for breakthrough maybe with cancer or maybe a doctor's report or maybe your children's school starting back, new teachers, a new year? Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your marriage. Write it down. God, I'm believing for this for this 40 days. But also the reason we're doing this fast is to know what to sow on September 5th. You cannot outgive God. And I'm going to show you how important it is, the way that we handle our money today, how important it is and how God wants to prosper you. But he wants to prosper you his way. His way. So I encourage you, and I kind of, I I don't want to say kind, I charge you to do this with me, do this with our leadership, do this with our staff, 40 days of commitment to God to pray and to fast over what you need breakthrough in your life. You know what? The seed you're planting is, is going to reap you the seed. Let me, let me tell you, give you an example. You can go out to your yard and you can desire tomato, tomatoes. You can go out there and you can have worship services out there. You can pray. You can pray in tongues. You can have an absolute fit out there and pray and every day. But if you don't plant the seed in that soil, you are not getting tomatoes. I don't care what you do. You're not going to get them. There is a law called seed time and harvest. The seeds got to get in the ground. So I want you to know I'm not tugging and I'm not trying to manipulate or pull at your money. If you know me at all, I'm not that type at all. What I'm trying to do is position you to get seed in the ground so that God can bless you like he's never blessed you before. Not just financially, but what breakthrough do you need? Because he's going to give you that too. When we line up with God, we don't have to feel like we're selfish for asking for what we need. So what I'm trying to do is to position you to ask for what you need and to get it. Now, God is not a slot machine. He's not to be manipulated. But when we line up with him, he's a good daddy and he provides. Amen. So I want to ask you with your money, who's at the wheel? Does that feel like you? Don't know where you're going, but you're going at breakneck speed and don't know where you're going. Don't know where you come from. Just hoping you don't kill somebody or kill yourself. Just hope you make it to tomorrow. Because you know what? God cares for us. He gave us guidelines for handling money. Did you know that the Bible contains more than 2,350 verses dealing with money and possessions? Jesus taught more about money than almost any other subject. So why is it taboo to talk about it in church? Do you know that I've had people leave the church because they said I talk too much about money? And I can't remember when I gave a sermon on money. Now, I'll talk about it at offering. I'll talk about it in the middle of my sermons. You know what? My heart, I've got a heart to tithe. I've got a heart to give. God blesses it. He has proved himself so much that I want somebody to know it. But if Jesus taught more on that subject than probably anything else, why can't the church teach on it? So if you can, get that out of your way. Satan is trying to get a hold of you to make you think, uh oh, shut down. He's not going to touch my wallet. I'm not after your wallet. Okay, I'm not. I've been in churches where I felt like I was getting tugged at and I'm not here to tug at you. I'm here to give you the word of God and to know God wants to bless you through finances. Did you know that? Jesus taught on that. So why should we feel incorrect to talk about it in church? The Lord said so much about money and possessions for spiritual reasons and practical reasons. Let's quickly look at the spiritual reasons. How we handle money has a big impact on the intimacy of our relationship with Jesus. How we handle our money has a big impact on the intimacy of our relationship with Jesus. Luke 16, verse 11 says... If you have not been faithful in the use of wealth or worldly wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? What are the true riches? A more intimate relationship with Christ is the true riches. Money is the primary competitor with Christ for lordship in our lives. The thing that battles the most over God being over Jesus being Lord is money. Amen. Amen. Are you with me? Look at Matthew six twenty four. It says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I have been on both sides of this coin more than once in my life. And let me tell you, serving money doesn't pay. In fact, it causes me to lose sleep. It causes me to not make ends meet. I don't care how much money I'm making. It won't work. But when you reverse that and you start your focus on God, for some reason, things just seem to start to work out. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been to where you can't make it and you've turned your focus over to the Lord and somehow you've gotten through that week? It is the primary competitor. The Lord knew that we needed wisdom in using money. He revealed it through scriptures, his principles for working, for earning, for spending, for saving, for investing, for getting For getting and getting out of debt and teaching children how to handle money. If people have been taught anything about handling money, it's usually been about giving. And even though giving is very important, the principles of earning and spending money have rarely been taught. So in that case, people have managed their money from a worldly perspective rather than God's. But what's God's responsibilities when it comes to our finances? Handling our money. Can I just tell you? He is the owner of everything. Everybody say everything. Does everything include what I have? Does it include what you have? He is the owner. What I'm trying to do is get you to grab the concept that it is God's anyway. You might as well handle it his way. It's his anyway. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Everything. Everything that you've ever had, everything that you have, everything that you ever will have is God's. Did you create the money that's in your pocket? Did you create the shirt that's on your back? And if you did sew it from scratch, did you create the fabric? No, God did. It's God's. God owns all the silver and gold. It says in Haggai chapter two, verse eight, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord almighty. God owns all the land. Leviticus 25, 23 says the land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine. God owns all the animals. Psalm 50 verse 10 says, every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains, the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. What do I need to tell you for? Do you own everything? I own everything. If I were hungry, I, would, I tell you for the world is mine and all that's in it. As I was driving to work this morning to church and I go by and I pick up uh, Steve, our guitar player, and he lives right in the middle of town and I do too. We live close. Sure enough, here goes a deer jumping out of a cornfield right there in the middle of town, jumps over a fence. And, you know, the Lord just said, that's mine. You may own that land. It's, the land is still mine. We don't own that land. You may, but that deer is mine. I created that. Let me tell you something. Satan didn't create anything. Satan is not a creator. God's the creator. Satan's a perverter of what God creates. Satan takes what he has, which was provided by God, and twists it up, makes it bad. God's the creator. Every animal. If you will just stop for a minute when you're driving home today and look at, don't stare directly into the sun, but look at the sun. Look at a moon. Look at a sunset. Look at the grass growing. Look at crepe myrtles. I never knew really what a crepe myrtle was until I had to trim one. Now I notice them. And, you know, people tell me, trim them, you won't kill it. Trim them all the way back, you won't kill it. And I'm telling you what, we've sweated over our crepe myrtle thinking it was dead. Elizabeth kept saying, I don't know. And I'm like, honey, I don't either, but they said it'd be okay. And sure enough, it's bloomed back better than it ever would have looked had I not trimmed it. But that's God, and it's pink. How could he ever think to put pink in a tree? Everybody, many loves pink. I'm just saying, look around, open your eyes. You will see God when you leave here. God is here. I was able to go to Tommy and Michelle's wedding, their uh, renewal of their vows. And I didn't get to tell y'all, but just looking at the top of that mountain, I, we lived over, I, I kept trying to see from that house, my old house. Cause I think I could, I think at your position to where I could. And I was just thinking, God, you're so awesome. Look out there. You're so good. And you own everything. You thought it all up. Have you ever seen a sunset and just thought, God thought that up? And I wonder if he just took his little pinky and just went, look at that. I'm telling you, God's so good all the time. God created all things in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. God owns all things, and he has never transferred the ownership of his creation to his people or to Satan. You know what? He's given dominion, which is what? Authority or power. But he owns it. He's the owner. It's his, and he's not given that up. As followers of Christ, we recognize that God owns all of our possessions. Luke chapter 14. Any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple cannot be my disciple God is in control you may feel like you you're spinning out of control but God is in control our heavenly Father is in ultimate control of every event Psalm 3135 verse 6 says the Lord does whatever pleases him in the heavens and on the earth Daniel 4, verse 34 says, I praise the Most High. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? It's comforting as a Christ follower, as a Christian, as one that believes and serves the Lord with all all their heart, to realize that God uses everything, everything, even our difficult circumstances, for ultimate good. We sang this last week in a song we sing, uh, Your Love Never Fails. And we know that in all things, God works for good of those who love him. God works all, I said that wrong. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. Amen. You know, this is illustrated in the life of Joseph. Do you remember the life of Joseph who was sold into slavery by his brothers? Jacob, his dad, you know, he was the favored one. Everybody knew it. You didn't have to wonder when you saw the brothers together, you knew who was the favorite because why? Joseph had the coat. He wasn't the one that had to go work. He was the one that was left behind. And his brothers hated him for it. And he was sold into slavery. But do you remember what Joseph told his brothers? After everything, had all kind of filtered out. He said, don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it, was, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. It was not you who sent me here, but God. You intended harm for me, but God meant it for good. To accomplish what is being done. The saving of many lives. God will provide for your needs. In Genesis chapter 22, verse uh, 14, God is spoken of as Jehovah Jireh. If you come here at all, you're going to hear me say the names of God. Jehovah Jireh. What does that mean? I am the Lord who provides. It's who I am. When you come to me, you find the provider. Matthew 633 says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And What? All things will be given to you. when you're, it, Basically, the scripture is saying when your priorities are right and you walk it out, everything will be provided. You will lack nothing. Are you seeking an answer to a prayer? Seek his kingdom and his righteousness. What does that mean? It means you get in the word and you start going after him and you seek after him like you would seek after your husband or your spouse or your parent or your child. You'd seek for them and his righteousness. What does that mean? How you walk this out. What is right in God's eyes and try your best to walk that out. Then what the path of a righteous, the path of the righteous, the, the, the path, the, the steps of the righteous man are ordered. Thank you. Sometimes it's just, uh, it won't come out. Righteous. Philippians 4, 19, who knows this one? My God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Jesus Christ. Your provision isn't based on the United States banking system. It's not based on the stock market. It's not based on Cattle prices. It's not based on how much money you're going to make in a year at your job. My God will supply all of my needs according to his riches. According to his glorious riches. Do you hear me? If we will turn our focus to God, our provision becomes unlimited. Let me tell you, your provision that you have here on this worldly level, whether it's your boss or your job or your stocks or your retirement, has an end. There's an end to it. And let me tell you this, it can change. People woke up overnight having nothing. God's provision is unlimited. His provision Is from his glorious riches, not the resources here on the earth. Amen. God is both predictable and unpredictable. He is predictable in that he is faithful all the time and he is faithful to provide, but he is unpredictable in how he's going to provide. How many here has God provided for you, but it wasn't in the way that you thought? 99.9. I don't know that he's ever provided the way that I thought. Praise God. I mean, I'd be a mess if he provided the way I thought. I'd probably be ruined. It is the truth. I'm sorry you just said that, but it is the truth. He's unpredictable. In the Bible, the Lord provides for his people in many different ways and often unexpected. The same God that provided manna to the children of Israel when they were in the desert is the same God that provided the 5,000 from only the few pieces of bread and fish. He's the same God that will provide for you. The same God, the same God who told who told Elijah that he was going to be fed from the ravens. Can you imagine being provided by an animal? Today, we wouldn't even accept what the ravens brought because they carry disease. Birds carry disease, right? So we wouldn't even accept it. Do you think that the food that the birds provided for Elijah was disease infested? No, it was perfect. The provision from God is perfect. That's good. The provision from man is imperfect. The provision from God is perfect. What's our responsibilities? This has all been God. Our responsibilities. We are to be stewards of God's possessions. Have you ever heard that? I'm to be a good steward. We say that over the things that we own, but I don't think we get it. What does steward mean? It means to take care of somebody else's stuff. Isn't that a good perspective, even over your checking account? If we'll see that it's God's, I guarantee you, you'll handle it differently. Being a good steward, you know, when Joe McGee came a few years ago, seven or eight years ago and taught on finances, Elizabeth and I were in one of the tightest areas, uh, places in our life financially. I'm not going to give you our sad story today, but you know, it, it was tough. But Joe McGee just gave us something basic. He said, take out a sheet of paper and for the next month, write down everything you spend. If it's a stick of gum, if it's a candy bar, if it's a Starbucks, if it's whatever, gas, eating out, write it all down. Why? Because you will be floored when you see where your money's going. And do you know that in the time we took his teaching and started to apply it, and in our worst financial time, we were able to save more money than we ever did when we had money coming in. Why? Why? You know, you know what? If we did a budget, there was no way we could come out. We were coming out in the hole every which way we did. But we were faithful to God and faithful over our money, and God started to provide, even though our budget didn't say it would work. I don't remember how it came in. I didn't really care. I was just glad it was coming in. Do you hear me? But when we were, faith, when we were not faithful and just spent it every direction, we couldn't keep up no matter what we did. There's never enough money. When our perspectives and our positions are wrong with God, there's never enough. You can never fuel your soul. It'll, It'll always run dry with worldly things. God's the only one that can bring true peace and comfort. We are to be stewards. We are to be faithful. God owns all that we have. God has given us the responsibility to manage our things according to the financial principles of Scripture. First Corinthians chapter four says it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. We had a situation this week where one of my children was asking for something of greater responsibility. And my wife said to this child, uh, Elizabeth said, we're not going to that step until you're faithful over this thing. This thing's never where it's supposed to be. We can never find it. It's always lost. And you know what my child said? If I get this other thing, I'll take care of it. My God, ding, ding, ding. No, you won't. Scripture, this is why we need in the word of God. Now's a teaching moment. Children are sponges. They just don't know it. Here we go. If you're not faithful over this, you will not be faithful over that. And And Elizabeth said, And I don't mean just be faithful for a week. Be faithful for a year. Show us that it's really in you to take care of what you've got. And then we'll go here. You know, Scripture says, if you'll take care of the little things, you'll be given more. If you don't take care of the little things, not only will you not be given more, you'll have that thing taken away. It is good. But when we're faithful... When we're faithful, we'll benefit in three different ways. Oh, I'm. hang on. I got ahead of myself. We are to be faithful with all that we have, and we're to be faithful over the little things. Luke 16, verse 10 says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. That's why I told you last week that if you're waiting for the big job and you're not doing a good job in the job you're in, you won't do a good job in the big job. You don't need that one. You need to get this one right. The last thing you want to do is get promoted and put there and fired. When you get put in this next job, you want to be ready for it. If we're faithful with small things, God can trust us with greater responsibility. We must not spend our money in ways that we know would displease him because this would make us unfaithful stewards. When we are faithful, we will benefit in three different ways. Did you know that when you're faithful over your money, you'll grow closer to God? Why? Because it takes so much to be faithful over your money. It's not natural. It takes the Lord to be faithful. We'll grow closer to Jesus When we're faithful to obey and serve the Lord, we will grow closer in our love for him. Jesus said in 1421, John 1421, whomever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He loves me and will be loved by my father. And I, too, will love him and show myself to him. Who? Whoever has my commands and obeys them. I want you to catch this. Faithfully applying God's financial principles will help you grow in your love for Jesus. But what else out of being faithful? Number two, we'll develop godly character. How we handle money is an outside indicator of our true spiritual condition. Did you catch that? You want to really get to know somebody? Look at where they spend their money. I've always said, the best way for me to get to know you is to go out on the golf course with you. You'll see a side of somebody that you've never seen. In fact, I've had moments where I thought, I did not even know that those things were even in me anymore. You hit a bad shot. I mean, it's whatever you get into, but golf, usually I can get to know somebody pretty quick. But you really want to get to know them, look at their checkbook. Where's their money going? How we handle money is an indicator of our true spiritual condition. For example, if they're dishonest or honest, do they gamble or do they give? But finally, when we're faithful, number three, we will have financial stability. Don't raise your hand, but who here needs financial stability? I would venture to say we all do. As we apply God's principles to our finances, we will begin to spend more wisely, start saving for the future, and then be able to give more to the work of Christ. But be, afraid, be, be aware or careful of extreme teachings on wealth and poverty. One extreme is that godliness can only occur in poverty. Have you ever heard that before? Godliness can only occur in poverty. Money and it, possessions can be used for good or evil. And let me tell you, a number of people in Scripture were extremely wealthy. Abraham was extremely wealthy. Solomon was extremely wealthy. Not Bill Gates, wealthy. He'd make Bill Gates look like a pauper. Solomon and Abraham would. In the Old Testament, the Lord extended the reward of obedience to his people when they were obedient. I said, did I say obedience? The Lord would extend the reward of abundance to the people when they were obedient, while the threat of poverty was one of the consequences of disobedience. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Don't don't go to sleep on me. Hang in there with me here. As I set before you today, life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in ways, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Everybody say this next word. Then. So he set something before us. And now here's the answer. If you fulfill what's above, then the Lord, your God will bless you in the land. You are entering to possess. I said before you today, I command you today to love the Lord, walk in his ways and keep his commands. Then, then the Lord will bless you. Psalm 35 verse 27 says the Lord be magnified. Catch this. Who delights in the prosperity of his servant. Does God delight when you prosper? Yes. God delights when you prosper. We may legitimately pray for prosperity when our relationship with the Lord is healthy. And we have a proper perspective of possessions. Do You catch that? It is not selfish. It is not greedy to ask the Lord to meet our needs. When we are seeking him the way he wants to be sought. He delights in you prospering. Third John verse 2 it says, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your soul prospers. The Bible doesn't say that a godly person must live in poverty. A godly person may have material resources, but the opposite extreme is that Christians who truly have faith will always prosper financially. And that's also an error. That's also not wrong. I mean, that's also wrong. Study the life of Joseph. Here's an example of a faithful person who experienced prosperity and poverty. He was born into a prosperous family. Jacob was a wealthy man. Amen. But then he was thrown into a pit, sold into slavery by his jealous brothers And you know what? While while Joseph was a slave, his masters promoted him. His master promoted him to the head of the household, right? It was Potiphar. He had everything at his fingertips. But Potiphar's wife wanted to have have sex with him. And Joseph made the righteous choice. He said no. And what did he get for it? Thrown into prison. Joseph was right. He made the right choice. Who says life is fair? Life's not fair, but God had a plan. God had a plan. What was the result? He suffered years in prison for the right decision. But then, in God's timing, he was elevated to the prime minister of Egypt. You know what? In his life, I bet he thought, under Potiphar, man, this is it. I've arrived. I'm under the man. Nobody else. I got it. I'm over this household. Who would have ever thought I would have been here? But in him doing the right thing, he was removed from that, had to sit here for a while, and then got elevated to the top, just below Pharaoh. Are you here? Is God in control or not? The guideline for prosperity is found in Joshua eight, And I'm going to close right here. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Here's that word again. Then. Then you will be prosperous and successful. When? This thing's got two requirements. Meditate on scripture and do everything they command. How how many times do people buy the books to make a million dollars? Ten steps to a million bucks, whatever. God says, meditate on my word and do what it says. And I got you. I got you. Forget the million dollars. You don't want the million dollars. You want what I've got. You don't think you do. You think you want the million. But you just don't realize it. Son, I created it all. I've got it all at my fingertips. The things that you want are mine. That they're included in what I've got. But i got everything else. I've got it all. If you will meditate on me. Do you hear this 40 days? That's what we're looking for. Meditate and be careful to do what's written in it. Let's pray and let's fast. And I encourage you, write down the things that you need breakthrough on and pray over those things diligently for 40 days. And you know what? Let's have a rejoicing time that September 5th on what breakthrough we've had. Amen. Will y'all pray with me? We are on a journey. We are on a journey into the presence of God through this 40 days of fasting to seed Sunday. But church, I want you, if you can, just to kind of put in the back of the mind the fact that we're trying to to build a a building here. Elizabeth and I truly need breakthrough in some areas. And I am going to commit myself to prayer and to fasting in the middle of this, not only for what to give, but also to know to let the Lord know what I need and for him to come through for me. I don't rely on him all that I should. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've gotten a report this week over your health. Maybe you've had a, a, a major hitch in your marriage or relationship, maybe with your parents or with your children. Maybe your job has taken a turn. I encourage you. Give this to the Lord for the next 40 days. To know what seed needs to be planted in this 40 days. Give that to the Lord and diligently pray and fast something. Give him something. The Lord is worth what you have to give him. Maybe today you'd say, Pastor, I need prayer today. And I just want to encourage you, step out. Maybe you've never received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Step out today. Step out today. Maybe you're you're needing prayer for an upcoming doctor's visit. Let us pray with you. Will you all stand with me? Those that are ministering, go ahead and step on out. Maybe you need, need financial help. Maybe you need help in your job. Step out and let this 40 days of prayer and fasting start today. And let us pray with you this morning as we sing.